0: Welcome to the Food Foundation podcast, the award-winning voice of the charity which campaigns for better access to healthy food for every child in the UK. I'm Thomasina Myers, food writer, chef, founder of Oaxaca Restaurants and trustee of Chefs in Schools. And this week, we're looking at the opportunities that the current fruit and veg shortages could offer to build resilience into our broken food system in the UK.
1: So what do I need as a grower? To make sure that I'm still going to be here in the future, I need long-term contracts, I need um, some certainty
0: and I need fair returns. The Food Foundation has recently published a series of briefings in collaboration with a team of researchers from the Sustainable and Healthy Food Systems, or SHEFS, consortium. They explore the opportunities of growing and eating more fruit and veg in the UK and its impact on our health, the environment and our food security. Anna Taylor, executive director at the Food Foundation, thinks that the lack of tomatoes on the shelves of our supermarkets opens up a conversation about how to change the way we think about food, how to eat it, how we buy it and how we grow it.
2: Yeah, it feels to me that is a big opportunity on the horticulture in particular to grapple with this issue. And I wonder to what extent this tomato issue is going to trigger some of those conversations in government. We did some work back in oh, several years ago now uh, where we published a report called Farming for Five a Day, where we actually went literally through the list of the the highest volume that we eat of, I think it was the top 100 fruit and veg. And there were a good number of them that we could be producing more in the UK of within our climate limitations. Um, and in fact, where Um, with the right incentives for farmers, we could, yeah, increase um, harvest periods and extend the growing season and that kind of thing.
0: Wessett's grower, Martin Emmett, couldn't agree more.
3: The current situation that we see with food shortages um, highlights the fact that we cannot take our food supply for granted um, we used to, if, if you took salads, for example, uh, as it stands at the moment, and as we see with tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, we used to have a, a dual supply chain, really, one coming from Northern Europe in the protected crops and one coming from uh, Southern Europe and, and North Africa. Now, the uh, production supply from, from Northern Europe has been very significantly diminished for a number of factors. And, of course, we've seen the, the Southern European North African supply really impacted by by weather conditions the sort of weather conditions which we I think should be assuming are going to become more likely rather than less likely with climate change mm-hmm. you know is one, one of the things which the current crisis has highlighted is is the fact that um, on the continent uh, they seem to have less problems with supply and um, and perhaps, they, you know, the continental supermarkets, we, we do see perhaps more, more emphasis on, on, on maintaining uh, supply than, than, than on price. And in, in the UK, we're very, very price focused. And I think that's had its sort of consequences in terms of, the, you know, the, 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 the capacity to maintain continuity.
0: It's taken just 70 years for us to create a food system in the UK that's calorie rich and nutrient poor, in which a healthy diet has become a luxury Skills shortages, loss of biodiversity and precious little reward for farmers characterise our modern food system. But while it's been wreaking havoc on our health and the environment, it has prided itself in at least always keeping the supermarket shelves full with food at rock-bottom prices. The recent shortages throw even that into doubt. Extreme weather, which is devastating harvests in markets we've come to rely on in other parts of the world – and the war in Europe have shown supply chains to be fragile. And they're throwing people on the most marginal incomes into food insecurity. Then there's Brexit. Guy Singh Watson is a grower and founder of Riverford Organics. And he's just back from Europe, where the shelves are far from empty.
4: Well, I went into a supermarket in Hungary and there were absolutely no shortage of um, vegetables. I spoke to a greengrocer, I spoke to a wholesale, no shortage of salads, no shortage of tomatoes. I speak to people in France, you know, where I have a farm and we have, you know, contacts throughout Europe because, you know, we are trading. And yes, you know, there, there is a shortage of tomatoes, but it's not manifesting itself in empty shelves. And I think it's pretty obvious that we are a pain in the ass to deal with. And, and, you know, if you had to deal with all the paperwork associated with loading a lorry, um, with a mixed range of vegetables, you know, it is, You know, people have sort of got used to it, but they've got used to it like banging their heads against the wall. You know, it's expensive, um, it's time consuming, and it involves a kind of loss of flexibility, which is just, you know, it's just irritating. And if you could avoid that, you would. And if you can avoid that by selling to other customers, you know, in mainland Europe within the EU, then, you know, it's pretty obvious that's what's happening. And we are a customer of last resort. He says that our food system exposes an inherent food injustice that just has to be addressed. It's it's kind of horrible, really. I mean, most of the harvesting is done by an underclass of worker, which was East Europeans, who didn't ask any questions but just did what they were told. You know, now they are no longer as available to us and uh, you know we're having to go to Nepal and the Philippines and so on and I I, I just think that's just a sort of hideous indictment of our food system that our food is actually grown by by an underclass you know to save pennies you know really when you consider that the food that actually goes to farmers though it's you know it's maybe 10% of disposable income is spent on food um, the amount that actually goes to farmers is, is less than 2%. It's about one6 or 1.7%. If you work that out for the average household, that's about £12 a week. You know, to sort of have a better horticulture, which delivered, you know, social benefits, environmental benefits, and sequestered carbon, and all the things that we sort of want to see, you know, might cost the average household another 2 or £3 a week. We're really not talking about a lot of money here. Um, The problem with why people say food is expensive, it's got far, far, you know, roughly it increases in price six times between the farm gate and the supermarket shelf. And, and, you know, that's a result of, you know, the processing, the packaging, the retailer's margin, um, you know, the transport. It has very little to do with actually the cost of producing vegetables in the field.
0: We're beginning to see the cause of the rot in the food system. But this triple whammy crisis of cost of living energy and climate could force a cultural shift in how we think about food. Ali Kappa is an apple farmer and chair of English Apples and Pears. She told us what farmers and growers need from a sustainable food system. We're all
1: farming or growing what are quite long-term enterprises So there's a lot of structure, there's a lot of infrastructure, there's a lot of investment in what we do. So if I take orchards, just to really sort of nail this, and this is one of the worst, um, if I want to plant a new orchard um, in the winter of 2023, November, December time, I need to order those trees two years ago, so in 2021. And that orchard, when I plant it in 2023, will not come into full production until year five or year six. So that's 2028 or 2029. So that's nearly a 10-year horizon on planning. So what do I need as a grower to make sure that I'm still going to be here in the future? I need long-term contracts. I need um, some certainty and I need fair returns. I need returns from the market that pay the cost, plus my costs because I'm not free and I need profit. And profit shouldn't be a dirty word because unless I'm making a profit, I can't reinvest in new orchards, in new trees, and in the infrastructure in my business to enable me to get that fruit to the market. Um, So the infrastructure in apples is we have places where they are graded and packed. Um, And also, importantly, long-term cold stored. Because the fruit that I pick in September, if it's stored properly, will still eat beautifully. British fruit will still eat beautifully in June, July and August next year. So that is really important. But that all takes investment and it's all quite long-term.
0: And she says that the supermarkets do actually have that system sorted. The
1: sophistication and the logistics is good. It works. Uh, It allows us to get fresh food to the consumer fast the nutritional quality of that food doesn't reduce doesn't decline so that's good um the there is an imbalance in power between we're all small businesses even the largest fruit and veg businesses the multi-million the 120 million pound turnover businesses are small fry compared to the multi-billion pound turnover retailers um and one, many argue that that balance between um, supply and purchase is imbalanced now, that there's too much power um, with too few, um, and they are too dominant. Many growers would argue that now.
0: James Woodward is Sustainability Officer at Sustain, the Alliance for Food and Farming. He says we can harness the power of the supermarkets.
5: Well, first of all, supermarkets really need to think about... Um, what they're paying farmers... Um, we did some research uh, last year called unpicking food prices, which looked at the um, where the money flows in the supermarket chain. And it was very clear from that research that farmers get a, a very raw and bad deal from supermarkets. So if farmers are expected to make changes to how they farm in a more climate and um, nature friendly way, um, they obviously need to be paid fairly so that they can reinvest into their business to be able to do that. I think we do we do need um, government to take some action, though. I, I think it's It's hard to see supermarkets taking any action soon, but... Things like the government could really do with implementing these new supply chain codes of practice that were supposed to come through, which was to um, better regulate the fairness of the, of the supply chain in between the farmer and the supermarket. But I also think that um, just making sure that the fairness regulations on the supermarkets are, are better enforced and implemented would be really important in just sort of nudging supermarkets towards being fairer and paying farmers better.
0: We can and should encourage everyone to eat more seasonally for the sake of our planet and our pocket. But we need strategy, incentive and a market change to do so.
5: I think um, the the opportunities that we can kind of take from the food shortages experience that we're experiencing at the moment is really kind of thinking long and hard about the need for um, The government to think about uh, implementing a a proper sort of food strategy more broadly that looks across farming looks across supply chains and markets all the way through to the demand side and to um, the way people eat food and buy food Um, and look at all of the all of the barriers to improving the UK's food security especially its nutritional food security I think is the critical kind of word in that phrase there um the food that's being produced in the uk is is you know part of a a healthy balanced diet and at the moment the uk is fairly food secure in things like wheat um dairy and meat but it's very insecure when it comes to fruits vegetables and salads so it's about looking at the whole um, sort of diet and making sure that the country is producing towards that healthy diet and yeah to, to think long and hard about sustainability resilience and all these sorts of things
0: in the food strategy that the government published in the summer of 2022, they promised to produce a new plan for horticulture to look at how we can boost fruit and veg production in the UK. But with no sign that this is imminent, the NFU has launched its own. Wessex grower Martin Emmett is also chair of the National Farmers Union Horticultural and Potatoes Board and told us about its 10-point plan.
3: The two most underlying issues that we are addressing are the supply of people, Um, And although we have now a a permit scheme, which is going to have up to 55,000 permits available, which we really do welcome, we only found out about that just before Christmas. Um, Crops are planned way ahead of Christmas. So we need to put that onto a a, a longer-term footing. Um, We're asking for a five-year rolling plan. I think that's critical because... if if growers aren't you can't have doubt about whether you've got enough people to pick your crops or not you know that's not a not a tenable situation and then the other aspect is is about fairness in the supply chain um one, one of the things which the current crisis has highlighted is is the fact that um on the continent uh they seem to have less problems with supply um and perhaps they, you know the continental supermarkets. We we do see perhaps more more emphasis on on, on maintaining uh, supply than, than than on price. And in, in, in the UK, we're very very price focused. And I think that's had its sort of consequences in terms of the, you know the the, the the capacity to maintain continuity. Um, so we want fairness in supply chain in such a way that growers can start to invest to meet the growing demand for food food in the future. Um, The global population is going to increase by 25% or so in the next 25 years. Um, You know, there needs to be absolutely no doubt we do need to boost these food supplies. We do need to improve the resilience. Um, And we need basically a fair return to our growers so that they can actually uh, start to invest in, in, in their enterprises now.
0: For apple grower Ali Kappa, the NFU's new horticultural strategy is a wake-up call to a government sleepwalking into a nightmare.
1: So I think the government having um, a growth strategy for horticulture for fruit and vegetable plants and flowers is long overdue. I'm not convinced that they are committed to it, which is concerning. So I really welcome the NFU's horticultural growth strategy. I think it's fantastic. I hope the government reads it and I hope they deliver it. British horticulture is 2% of the farmed land area. It's 25% of the farm gate value and it's largely unsubsidised. So it's not costing the taxpayer anything. Um, fruit and veg is a really, really important part of our diet. Plants and flowers are fantastic for our mental health and wellbeing. If we want to deliver the freshest most nutritionally dense fruit and veg to British consumers we must grow more here and we have in my opinion a moral responsibility to do that because we are importing fruit and veg very often from countries that are short of water um, very often from countries in the future won't be able to grow crops naturally outside because of climate change so not only should we be aiming to grow more for our own society, but we, I think we have a moral responsibility to grow more for the world and export to those countries that won't be able to grow crops in the way that we will. We are a maritime climate that will naturally still be a good place to grow food into the future. I'm not denying that there will be change. There will be change. Um, we are getting warmer, we're getting wetter. Um, but we're still in a really good place compared to many other fruit and vegetable growing countries
0: the food foundations work with researchers at SHEFS has found this too 54% of our fruit and veg is currently coming from countries that are at a risk of future water scarcity and 32% is coming from countries at risk of climate change james woodward of sustain thinks that supermarkets are key to transforming our supply chains.
5: I think supermarkets do have the power to really think about where they are buying from, Um, not just relying on buying from a very small number of countries and locations that um, are very climate vulnerable. So at the moment, the UK imports about I think it's about 35 to 40% of its fruits, vegetables and salads from very climate vulnerable countries. So I think we really, really need supermarkets to to think better about the standards that they have for where they import food from, what kind of um, standards they set themselves around uh, supporting and rewarding environmental practices on farms in the UK and overseas as well.
0: Changing the way we think about what we eat and how to get it to our table must extend to our role and responsibility in the
5: wider world. As a country, we really need to cut our reliance on importing food um, and really think about the needs for doing that, not just um, in terms of you know, our, our own food security, but as part of a, a global community and thinking about the impacts that we have on on people and communities in other parts of the world. and. Obviously, if if the UK is importing a substantial amount of food from a country like Morocco or Kenya or wherever it might be um, in other parts of the world that are suffering more from climate change, that's um, impacting on the food system there and taking food away from, from communities and people in those countries. So absolutely, I think that's, um, that's important to recognise, but also that the, the food system it's not just taking food away from those countries, but often we're buying food at an extremely cheap price from those countries and not paying farmers in those countries or the workers in those in those countries a fair wage or a, or giving them a fair living and livelihood. So there's that element to it as well, which is part of that, I suppose, moral moral imperative to really rethink trade and rethink the way that our food system uh, sort of buys and supplies food.
0: The Food Foundation played a key role in securing the commitment that the government made to a new horticultural growth plan in last year's food strategy. Anna Taylor explains why she believes it needs to focus not just on increasing the production of food and vegetables, but also on increasing the amount of them that we're eating.
2: We're really hoping that they're not just going to be looking at um, sort of narrow focus on production or even just high-tech production, vertical farming, hydroponics, et cetera, but also thinking about if we're going to really um, invest in British horticulture, how does that go hand-in-hand with the, cons- the thought about consumption? Because there's no point in growing more UK veg if we're not actually ultimately going to eat more. So how do we use this opportunity to not just build the resilience of the supply chain, but also increase kind of consumer engagement with the whole kind of idea of eating more fruit and veg and what does that mean that all the other bits of the supply chain need to do to to help consumers get there.
0: A joined up vision for British horticulture that addresses how we can increase both the amount of fruit and vegetables that we grow and the amount that we eat could really change so many of the problems with the way we think about food in this country. It would provide us with an opportunity to take a more coordinated approach to making our food system healthier and more resilient. Martin Emmett of the National Farmers Union.
3: We are, we are about 50% self-sufficiency with vegetables, um, but we are about 15% self-sufficiency on, on fruit. Um, I do think that needs to be increased, not just because of our own self-sufficiency requirement, but if you look at the global food economy, uh, if you look at the types of issues that we're going to have with water supply, uh, particularly in some of the areas where we're currently relying upon, Um, It's not just about self-sufficiency. It's about making our contribution to the wider global food economy. Um, And against that, there's a particular issue around water. Because I think water for a lot of businesses is starting to become a a key limiting factor on their development. We need need to do more to develop our supply infrastructure. We need to do more to uh, enable more enterprises to store more water so there's there's a big piece around water uh, I think it 's overlooked too easily we've got five regions in England now with each with their own um, water resilience strategies and those strategies which have demand prediction models for the future don't actually contain any component which allows for growth in our food production sector uh, now that you know that 's got to be addressed because you know to grow more we do grow with a lot of uh Water efficiency in the UK, but to grow more, we do need to know we can have an assurance about our water supply. So, a- actually, um, to get that resilience, we've got to use that sort of combination of, of, of channels into into our supply chain. I do think protected cropping is a very important part of that. That was sort of addressed partly in the food strategy when they were talking about um, industrial horticulture and vertical urban farms. But actually, it's down to a lot more of our more conventional systems as well so that we can get them expanded, optimised, but businesses need to be confident. The government is, you know, is covering their back. Um, and if it can do it for, for example, for, for botanic gardens, because they recognise that those greenhouses use a lot of energy, then we should be doing it for food as well.
0: With massive greenhouses like Thana Earth in Kent, producing around 400 million tomatoes, 13 million cucumbers, and 24 million peppers every year, might the future of horticulture be about innovation... Martin Amet thinks
3: so. I actually see them very much as an opportunity. Um, so if you take, the, you know, take an operation, you, you know, you, you, you've, you've, you've mentioned Earth, but, but we're talking really about all, all our larger um, glasshouse suppliers. Um, for example, in the area of, of, of the way they're using energy, um, there's, there's a large amount of this uh, glass is actually using combined heat and power. Now, if we're going to use gas to produce electricity in this country, uh, if we do it in such a way that the, the heat that's produced as a byproduct can be used to heat a greenhouse, to, to, to me that's a, a much more efficient way of using what resource we've accepted we, we need to use. In addition to that, um, there's a lot of move towards using more uh, waste heat sources, um, more renewable biofuel type um, heating systems and biofuel boilers, and... Um, ultimately I do think uh, they are part of the solution uh, these types of operations are very very water efficient um, and, and as I say that, that that is such a key issue in itself so it, it's it, that they are making a contribution to our energy economy that's I think very constructive but they're also uh, addressing a need for us to to be as economical as we can without our use of water supplies James Woodward
5: is not as convinced. Um, well, this is kind of, I suppose, one of the crux elements of a, why we need a horticultural strategy is to not go down that route of concentrating the production of fruits, vegetables and salads in very specific parts of the country and relying very specifically on, on large glasshouses to be able to produce this. Of course, there has to be an element of that, because, for example, being able to produce certain vegetables or fruits in certain times of the year requires that kind of infrastructure. But we really need a horticultural strategy that links to a land use strategy and looks at opportunities across the country to see where we can produce more fruits and vegetables and salads in all different parts of the country. And there are opportunities to do that. I think there's a little bit of a myth that people think you can only produce um, horticultural products, um, either on peat soils or in, in glass houses. I think actually the case is if you really invest in it and you really provide a supply chain in a market that will support um, horticultural produce in a fair way, you'll be able to find lots of opportunities across the country to increase production in in in, in the southwest, um, even in the north, in different parts of the country. Um, so I think that that's really what it's got to be about. And, and if we can do that, I think that will build a lot more resilience into the system as well. Um, relying on a small number of glass houses to produce everything is not a very resilient system um, and neither is concentrating the production in, in peatlands as well and absolutely need to think about different ways of doing this that align with things like agroecological farming, with tackling net zero and aligning with, with the needs to um, sort of meet the nature targets in the Environment Act as well.
0: And guess what Guy Singh Watson has to say?
4: Growing tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers and growing anything in a heated greenhouse is complete environmental insanity. If you think that the whole greenhouse is single glazed, it's heated to 20 degrees centigrade inside in January and February. If you try to do that in your house, it would be illegal and it should be illegal in a greenhouse. You know, so I, I, you know, heated glass is environmental madness and we've got to just stop doing it. Um, So the answer is not to replace the Spanish tomatoes with English heated glass tomatoes. Definitely, definitely not.
0: So what would Guy put into his ideal food strategy?
4: You know, my dreams for a horticultural strategy depends on just how utopian you you want to go. I mean, I would love to see on the more extreme end, um, you know, more local food, people eating more seasonal food, probably more smaller scale growers so so that we enjoy this kind of human aspect of of farming rather than just the um, monetary... Aspect. I mean, that is a huge change and it's not going to happen without a complete upheaval of our retailing system, whereby, I don't know, 90% plus of retail is going through the supermarkets who only want to deal with large growers. And I mean, very large growers. I mean, they have no interest in dealing with small growers. They are more expensive to deal with, probably less reliable. Um, And they have dictated the structure of the supply chain which is a few very large companies supplying a few very large retailers there wasn't it actually a a government scheme in the post-war era which did allow people to produce you know on a small scale i mean i think a lot of people leaving the services um you know set up small scale uh greenhouse growing operations i think the lee valley growers that's how they 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 started and um and they would have been distributed, perhaps some locally, but largely through the wholesale markets in this this country and then through uh, green grocers. You know, in many ways, that's the more the sort of system that I would like to see. And, and vegetable boxes can teach us some things, but they're clearly they don't work for everyone either. The Food Foundation's latest research shows that many households are under such
0: financial pressure right now that they're already experiencing food insecurity. It will be crucial that the horticultural plan sets out how the government will support everyone to be able to access and afford enough fruit and vegetables. Ali Kappa says that getting fruit to consumers on lower incomes is about changing the message about the true cost of food.
1: In our country, um, we are living on some of the most expensive land in the UK. We have some of the most expensive labour. The National Living Wage has just gone up again. By nine point seven percent, that cost burden to a crop that is hand picked is very significant, but I would argue that apples are one of the most affordable fruits that you can buy, and actually, if you shop well, they are very affordable um, So if I make, take some comparisons, a standard pack of gala apples, a six pack of gala apples, is one pound seventy in most retailers. It's often lower on promotion. It's sometimes a little bit higher if it's a brand like Pink Lady. But if you're buying gala or you're buying British apples, pound seventy. So that's less than 30 pence an apple. That apple delivers 70 to 100 calories, loads of fibre, hydration. Um, it's fantastically good for you because of all the polyphenols. And in terms of satiating hunger, it does much better for you than a bagged snack, which will cost a packet of crisps, bar of chocolate, at least a pound. So it's a third of the price. So I don't think that apples are not affordable, even to the poorest in society. They are affordable. Um, and if you put them in the fridge, you will not waste your money because they will store. So I don't think it's about apples not being affordable to families i think this is about um, whether we are giving those families the best choice and in my opinion the best choice is british um, because it's traveled less far they've done the least damage to the planet and they're the freshest so they will have the highest nutritional density
0: james woodward says that a broad range of interventions are needed to tackle food poverty and food insecurity
5: it's really important if we want to have a a more food secure country then people need to be able to afford and to be able to access healthier food healthier diets um, and food that's being produced in a much more sort of sustainable and resilient way um, there's lots of ways that you can do that um, of course it has to sort of be rec- recognized or acknowledged that it probably requires more economic reforms making sure that that things like wages are attached to the real living wage and that benefits are attached to the true cost of living. But also... Um Government can look at using mechanisms like expanding the Healthy Start Voucher Scheme or making uh, free school meals universal and linking free school meals to healthy healthy meals. All these sorts of things, um, government could invest more in and expand to make sure that um, people and households on low incomes can can get access to this food in the short term. While we look at how to increase um, and improve people's um, wages and their incomes as a household, so that in the future they can they can afford. Um, to buy this sort of food without having to rely on, on these kind of interventions.
0: Martin Emmett from the National Farmers Union.
5: So we want
3: fairness in supply chain in such a way that growers can start to invest to meet the growing demand for food in the future. Um, the global population is going to increase by 25% or so in the next 25 years. Um, you know, there needs to be absolutely no doubt we do need to boost these food supplies. We do need to Improve the resilience. Um, and we need basically a fair return to our growers so that they can actually uh, start to invest in, in, in their enterprises now. We know that extreme weather events uh, are, are going to become more frequent you know, a, a, across the globe and, and uh, particularly in those areas where we're concentrating production at the moment. So it, it, it is a clear indication of the importance that we actually now produce a lot more back here in the UK a recognition that we have a very resilient, very very useful temperate climate. We actually have, overall, good water supply. Um, what we don't have is, is is the storage we need to, to actually um, capitalise upon it. Given the warnings that we've actually seen in, in, in the recent circumstance, I think that should drive uh, a lot of wider opinion uh, t- towards getting the government to expedite a growth strategy that they've already indicated that they want to actually proceed with.
0: Anna Taylor from the Food Foundation.
2: These shocks are here to stay and we really need to be, yeah, factoring in our planning in recognition that the intensity and frequency of shocks we know from all the climate change projections that this is how life is going to be. and the the when we're thinking about the resilience of our supply chains, thinking alongside that about the resilience of people in Britain.
0: Growing more of our own and supporting everyone to eat more fruits and vegetables in Britain is vital. The current shortages on shelves are a warning to the government that sticking with this status quo is hugely risky in the face of expected further climate change and extreme weather events. And with the cost of living crisis also driving many households into food insecurity, this really is a moment for change. Now is the time for the government to step up with a truly ambitious new plan for fruit and veg in the UK. Thanks to the Food Foundation and SHEFS, we have the evidence of how to do things differently. And we've heard that the horticultural sector is ready and willing for change. We all need to write to our MPs to urge them to push the government to press ahead with the horticultural strategy that they've promised and to ensure that it helps farmers to produce more fruit and vegetables in the UK, helps us all to eat more fruit and veg and addresses the huge inequalities that are pushing many households into food insecurity. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, go to the Food Foundation's YouTube channel to watch Anna Taylor and Professor Tim Benton discuss this in our latest Quick Bites. And click on the link in the show notes for the Food Foundation's reports.